Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. In this episode of This Little Light, I'll be speaking with Margot Price. When I go back and I listen to my early recordings and when I was trying to like find my sound and like find what felt natural to me, it really wasn't until I had been through some things that I really felt like I could honestly express what I felt in my heart. Margot Price is a country singer She comes with heart and soul and all the best parts of country music, the stories, the honesty, the vulnerability, the strength. She's an absolutely beautiful singer. She's done a lot. She's collaborated with Willie Nelson and Sturgill Simpson. In this conversation, Margaret talks about how difficult it was for her to launch her professional career how record companies and corporations wanted her to change and do something else, and how what a vulnerable feeling it was and the strength of spirit that it took to stick to her guns and be true to who she was. I first met her actually through Willie Nelson and was blown away and touched by the performance that I saw her do. She's incredible. I I really admire and love Margot Price, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Yeah, I was so happy. After I, I met you at Lucas's Fire thing, yeah. I, uh, you know, I went and listened to all your music and stuff because I was like, oh, they're so yeah. nice. And I went and listened. No, and so, I was like, like became a fan. I was know? really excited to talk to you, but I also didn't want to like bug you and like give you your personal space. Oh, but please. you're just so sweet. And yeah. it was, it's really refreshing to meet one of your heroes. And then you're like, oh, no, they're really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like pregnant during that time. And I was like yeah. feeling so like insecure, kind of. And it was just so nice uh, that you took the time to talk to me. And, uh, please. Yeah, now that we're like getting ready to get back on the road and, you know, do shows. I mean, we don't have like a lot really planned, but one thing that I always really love that Lucas and his band did, and I know other bands have done this too, is that they all put their arms together, like around each other and like say a little prayer. Yeah, yeah. And like my band and I, like we would do like a tequila shot, you know? Yeah, and yeah, now yeah. I'm like not drinking anymore. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. I remember like we, we were kind of the same way. And I remember one time we did a gig in the 80s with MC Hammer of all people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember what kind of gig it was, but it was with MC Hammer. I remember, like, because we don't really pray because we all have our different ideas of what, right, right. Stuff, but we we connect, like that's the idea, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and uh, like in the spirit of community. But I remember, like, he was like real serious praying with his people. Like, it was all the dancers. It was a whole big production. But he got together, and I was kind of like, in a way, kind of laughing at it. Yeah. But yeah. in another way, like, like an awe. Yeah. Yeah. Of, totally. Like, because I just grew up like completely no religion, none of that. You know yeah, what I mean? And, yeah. and, and it's funny because now I believe in God so me. much and I, I'm like a praying motherfucker. I'm not religious. But, right, right. But I remember like the, the intensity of it and being like, whoa. Wow, you know? yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So this podcast idea was that, you know, it's for the Silver Lake Conservatory music, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And the idea was that 
everything would be about education, right? And music education. But, you know, clearly everyone's education is really different. Yeah. You know, like an emotional education, a spiritual education, a music education, in whatever way you come to music, they all kind of go together, right? Like yeah. who you are as a musician. And I guess like talking about, you know, reading musicians' bios, like were there musicians like growing up and now that um, specifically that you really loved and learned a lot from who were like educators to you? Um, I think... You know, a lot of people probably assume that I've like only am into like country artists or whatever. Mm. But I mean, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Patti Smith, like reading like Patti's book, like totally changed my life. Mm. And and I've been like writing my own memoir and, you know, really spending like time writing and and focusing on on me for the first time in a long time. But Yeah. yeah, I think you know, Neil Young and like people who always kind of skirted the line between genres like mm. and, and never were like sticking to like one lane. Like those were the people that really interested me. Yeah. So um, to go back further than that, do you remember your first inklings of loving music and wanting to learn how to do it and like what that was? Yeah, I it started really young and I had like, you know, it was early 80s and my parents like got me I had my own record player uh. and I would like put on my own records and I would dance around the room and sing and like put on shows like how old like three uh-huh. four. and um yeah so it started then I was always making up songs and and routines and I loved like theater and I had a couple younger sisters so I would like write plays and we would record them on the camcorder and um but then it it was about the age of seven that my mom put me in piano lessons. Mm. It was like a real big deal. Like they mm. bought a piano and, and I, I liked my teacher and then she moved away and I got another teacher and I didn't really always like the songs that they were making me play and mm. I wasn't like practicing very much. Mm. And And then at the age of 12 for my eighth grade graduation, I got, uh, you know, everybody came and brought me a card with like 20 bucks in it. And so I like counted all my money. My parents were like, you should buy a computer. I was like, well, I was thinking, actually, I'm going to buy a guitar. <laughs> so I <laughs> went to the used music store and got like a Japanese guitar that uh-huh. was like not that much money. An acoustic one. Yeah, an acoustic uh-huh. one. I wanted an electric one, but, yeah. you know, everybody's like, you got to learn on acoustic. And Fair enough. So I uh, got a uh, just a, one of those chord books. It was like guitar for dummies. Yeah. That was it, you know, yeah. and it, I learned the, I learned the chords. I never re- I never had lessons with guitar. Mm. And I'm way better of a guitar player than I am a piano player, despite mm. having like yeah. seven years of lessons. Yeah. But I um, actually have a friend whose daughter took lessons here. Oh, yeah? And they were singing the praises of this place. I wish that more kids had the opportunity to to have music lessons. Yeah, well, that's our mission. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we just kind of feel that, I mean, arts in general, but, you know, for me, music in particular, and what it did for me as a kid, like, really saved me, literally mm-hmm. saved me. Yeah. That it's just crucial, and it's, like, kind of abusive to not have it. I know. You know, it's like, what the person I founded the school with, uh, Keith Barry, who I call Tree, he would say, like, well, they talk about the three R's, um, but we talk about the three A's, you know, arts, academics, and athletics, that they're all equally important, like, you know, body, mind, and spirit, you know, yeah. like, um, and it's crucial. It you is, know? yeah. It, it really is crucial. So 
But um, so when you started playing and putting the chords together on the guitar, I'm sure you start like playing songs that you like by people you really like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was what made it feel. I don't know, just more personal, and yeah. and like then being able to like make up my own songs, and I was always like singing into a tape recorder and like singing melodies and stuff, and and I still write on the piano like all the time, but mm. yeah, the guitar and that whole that whole time kind of just I became a different person, and yeah. and it really did. It's I've always used like writing music as like a form of of therapy, and yeah. you know I. I've not done enough therapy in my life to like to sing its praises and I know it's really important but for me it was music that really that really did also bring me back to life like yeah. even later times in my life when I thought you know that I was yeah beyond saving yeah like for me I love playing concerts I I love you know just doing it but my favorite thing and a thing like I could imagine Never have getting to play a concert again. I mean, it'd be ridiculous. I could imagine never getting to play a record again. It would be ridiculous. Yeah. But the thing that I cannot imagine is life without the creative process. Yeah. Like just the sitting down mm-hmm. and just playing. Like, I, you know, I'm playing my trumpet, my piano, my bass, whatever I'm playing. And just like an hour went by and I picked my head up and I'm like, ah, that was a good hour. Yeah. Like that's yeah. time like where I'm my truest self. Yeah. And my best self. Well, and they say that music is one of the only things that like turns on every part of your brain, you yeah. know, and that's what I think more people back before there was TV and Internet, like that's what people did. They sat around in their living rooms and played and it. Yeah. And it wasn't even about like being successful at it or not. It was just like I play music because I like to sing. And yeah, that's one of the like most beautiful things when I see somebody who like who hasn't you know, completely like made it and and can make a living off of it, but they do it because they love it and they're like not doing it for any like financial gain. I'm like, that is the true, yeah. you know, staying the course. And yeah. Yeah. And when you started getting going on the guitar and, you know, as it becomes more fluid and you start learning different chords and colors and shapes and patterns and all that stuff. Yeah. Did you ever study theory at all? Or like did the piano lessons or any other thing come together in terms of like how you see notes and the way chords and the way they fit together? I don't know. It's strange because I, I can read a little bit mm. and I can I can read, um, you know, if somebody like lays out like chords or, or whatever, I can read the chords and I and I never really used capo very much because I really wanted to be able to play in every key and like mm-hmm. go all the way up the neck. And yeah, I'm just mostly self-taught. Yeah, yeah. I have my yeah. guitar players like from Berkeley, you know, he studied and he knows everything, but I'm just... Well, you're your husband guitar player. So my husband's self-taught too, uh-huh. and he plays bass and piano and and guitar and harmonica, and and both of us were both just um, self-taught. Yeah. It's very like... Yeah, yeah. Kind of crude playing, but yeah, yeah we, we get by somehow. Because I've been <laughs> like that. I mean, I that's how... I had like a little bit of like... You know, playing in public school bands, you know, right. playing trumpet, where I learned, you know, the bare minimums of what a major scale is, what a, you know. Um, but then, like, when I was 46, I went and studied music for a year, like uh, composition and theory at USC. Yeah, and yeah, I was 46. And it was really fun for me. You know what I mean? Like, just to look at music completely differently. like And kind of, like, learn what you've already been doing, but, like. yeah. But also, like, I felt like it helped me, like, 
I mean, for one thing, it got me playing piano because I would yes. dick around on a piano, but it made me like, like, cause we had to like for homework, okay, look at this Bach chorale and explain why the chords move this way and what they're doing. You know yeah. what I mean? And it just made me like to try to figure it out so that the piano next year I knew I was writing songs on the piano. Incredible. You know? I guess like it did like affirm things I already knew and kind of helped me like sometimes when you're like, okay, I really want to create tension in this part. So what will I do? And I just keep, normally I would just keep playing until I found something that was tense. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Margot talks about pawning everything from her wedding ring to her car to make her first record and about the high school guidance counselor who told her music wasn't a career. Luckily for us, Margaret proved her wrong. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus 15% off your first order with code Odyssey. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you think about music, do you think of terms of that, like numbers and stuff, or never? You just go for it. Um, sometimes. I mean, I do. I, I love throwing, yeah, throwing the seventh in there. or, or yeah. And, I, you know, I, I know how to sing harmony really well, so it's like, mm. you can find the third. Find, and I had um, this, my mom put me into voice lessons when I was about, um, like, sixth grade. She found this teacher. We had to drive, like, 45 minutes to get to her. We would cross the Mississippi River and go mm. to Iowa. And this woman named Sue Clark taught me mezzo-soprano Italian wow. singing. And, you know, I feel like I that helped me a lot in, like, reading. Right. And I used to be really good at sight reading and, like, to jazz Whoa, okay. choir and, and show choir. So you, you read singing? Like, like Yeah, I could right. read, like, um, wow. the singing notes. But it's been so long since I've done it. Yeah, but still. I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's there. there. It's in there somewhere. I really love learning as an adult and it's like something mm. that I want to continue to do. Yeah. When you like in terms of what you want to learn and how you want to continue to educate yourself, do you, how do you think of it? Like specific goals or just like a open field or, you know, like how do you? I think both. I mean, I think sometimes I'll, I think learning other, you know, learning covers or like I've been, um, getting really into like the uh, Canciones de Mi Padre with uh, Linda Ronstadt album that she did that mm. everybody said would ruin her career. And she like right. did this like whole like mariachi, yeah, like yeah. all Spanish album. And so I've been like learning some of those like older traditional folk songs or like, you know, s singing in Spanish or like going back and, and trying to do things that are like out of my yeah. realm, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like like most great musicians, like, genre doesn't really exist for them yeah it's like expressing yeah. like what their nervous system and their pain and their joy does exactly yeah yeah and i mean i grew up like you know my my dad was always listening to like oldies and my mom had on you know just whatever like top 40 radio and stuff yeah. was at the time and and i was also listening to a lot of dr dre and like eminem and i had all the chili yeah. peppers records and you know i liked i liked popular stuff too but um it was like cool that my that my dad always had on like, you know, like Beach Boys, and he turned me on to like Carol King and you know Linda Ronstadt, people yeah. like that. And uh, then my my grandma, she was very into country music, and I loved, yeah, always loved people like Johnny Cash though. That was like not uh, the glossy, yeah, kind of like country stuff. And when I moved to Nashville, I was very much 
thinking that I just, I didn't want to make country music. I didn't, because what was going on then was very like American Idol and like, you know, the pop country stuff. But I always felt like I was like too rootsy, too country for the rock crowd, and then like too rock and roll for the country crowd. And there was just like nowhere that we were fitting in. I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the Chili Peppers, when we started, it was, we wanted to play funk, right? Like, yeah. I grew up loving funk and, but we were like, you know, punk rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we were way too rock, punk rock to be on like black radio and too funky and weird to be on white radio. And we were just like, well, fuck it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but we should just, you know, we just wanted to play music. I remember when I was like in middle school and I was, you know, lucky that I grew up in a real diverse area in LA and yeah. my school was like, you know, like a third white, a third black, a third Latino and Asian and you know, yeah, Russian and a like, big melting pot. Yeah, big, yeah. My, um, um, a lot of immigrants, and, mm -hmm. which I, I feel so fortunate for. But so music was like that too. Like all the white kids like Zeppelin and Kiss mm -hmm. all, and Bowie, you know, <laughs> yep. or the weirder kids like Bowie and all the black kids like P-Funk and, uh, you know, Ohio Players and, and um, you know, the big funk and R&B groups of the time. But I remember like everybody, when I was a kid, everybody loved Earth, Wind and Fire. <laughs> they were a band that, like, like literally everybody loved. Yeah. Like, the Mexican kids, black Ransended. kids, the white kids. Everybody rocked out to Earth, Wind, and Fire. And old people liked it. And young people liked it. And so I remember cool. thinking, like, you know, and I didn't do a lot of, like, conscious thinking when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking, like, that's where it's at. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't matter. Like, it's just music. Like, the spirit of it. For sure. And And, like, hearing you talk about, like, you didn't necessarily want to be a country artist. Like, you play what's there, you know. Yeah. But. I love country music and have like, you know, our first Chili Pepper record, we do a Hank Williams cover, yeah, you know, yeah. but I feel like, you know, it's just such an interesting point because I feel like, especially with kids and you want to define yourself by being a part of something. Yeah. You yeah. want to belong. You have that like camaraderie with like a scene also too. You totally. Know? Yeah, we were just like playing so many little dives and I, I made like a whole list of every venue that I wanted to play, all, all the different, you know. The, the small clubs, the like medium seated all the way up to the Ryman. And, you know, it was just, uh, it just took a lot of growing pains, a lot of shifting and like switching in between playing a lot of, with a lot of different bands and mm -hmm. rebranding myself. And then finally I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to make a country record. But I knew that I, I didn't want it to be like most of the mainstream stuff that was going on in Nashville. Yeah. And so we like, my, my husband took our car down to CarMax and, and sold it, mm -hmm. came back with a check. And like we sold all, we had a bunch of music gear, like home studio stuff. And we just sold everything. And we, we went to Sun in Memphis and made this homemade record, you know, for not very much money. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt like it was really good. You made it at home. We made it at Mem in Memphis at Sun, where like, you know, Elvis oh, at Sun. and at Sun Studios. Yeah. It was cool. I mean, we and the the museum was open during the day, so like at six o'clock they would shut the museum, and then we would go in at night and uh -huh. like do these night sessions. And wow, um, yeah, it was it was just such a good time, and I was so proud of the album. And then we started pitching it to labels all over town and and out of town, like labels in Chicago, labels in Georgia, New York, the the UK, everywhere. Yeah. And for a year, nobody liked it and nobody would buy i was like we just sold our car i pawned my wedding ring and i felt like we'd put all of our eggs in one basket and yeah. i knew it was good but still 
anybody that did give feedback on it, like some major labels in Nashville, they were like, well, we really like it, but would you take the fiddle off or mm. like make it, make yeah. it new? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Make it yeah. like glossy. Make it polish and, it up. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And I just stuck to my guns. And then about almost an entire year after Third Man Records and Jack White, they like somehow were interested and they didn't really do full artist deals. They didn't do like, mm. they just put out singles, you know, mostly yeah. for people. But they saved it. Yeah. <laughs> they saved it. Smart, and they, huh, Jack and they put it out. Yeah, it was smart. Yeah. And, he, and he, they didn't ask me to change anything. It was mm. like, it was just such a, such a good feeling. And then from there, everything really took off. But it was like 13 years of yeah. um, people like asking like, you know, when are you going to move back home and like, yeah. and give it up? Because obviously it's not working. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think for a question I've been asked a lot, like if yeah. I, when especially like I did a Q&A a couple of weeks ago at my daughter's school. Yeah. And, and it's happened before when I talked to young people, they was like, well, how did you make it? How did you? And like, I don't know, like, I'm still like a student. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to be good. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it is an interesting question because like hearing you speak about it, like there's a certain point where there's a leap of faith. Where you're like, yeah. like, I think you're probably like me. You don't come from money. Yeah, no one's exactly. paying their way. You didn't have shit. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you're just like, this is what I do. This is who I am. I'm a musician and I'm going to go sing my song. Yeah. Whatever that song is. And me, you might not even know what it is, but you know, but there's something burning inside, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know what else I would do that I would do as well. And, you know, yeah. I, I never imagined that I would be like waitressing for a decade. And, you know, yeah. I know my parents definitely didn't want that for me. And they like, they wanted me to finish school and, it just, I don't know. I felt like I was wasting money, changing my major a million times. And, yeah. you know, I, so finally when I just kind of started doing it full time, even though it was scary and, you know, it is a leap of faith yeah. where you know that it might not, it might not come true the way you want it to. But I think if you really meditate on something, I, one thing I always tried to do was like, uh, just manifest and like think those positive thoughts and like, and work hard and just practice at your instrument and I yeah. think good things will happen. But it yeah. is, it's a tough business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, tough. like you said, yeah, you've been in it this long and you're a like, I'm time. still a student. And yeah. I mean, I've, you know, been like for me, when I was like, my only dream was when I started being like, because like, my reference points growing up were like my stepdad was a jazz musician. Yeah. Yeah. And he, Played upright bass, put it in his Volkswagen bug with the neck sticking out of the window, <laughs> drove to like a Holiday Inn or wherever he was doing some shitty gig yeah, and went and played. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a job. He's right. a musician. He knows how to play it. And he goes and works and plays with whoever, yeah, you know, and comes back home and then we eat, yeah. you know, yeah. and fixes cars in the backyard when that's not happening. You know what I mean? Totally. And, but I didn't have the reference point of like a rock star or celebrity. I didn't even, didn't exist to me. I didn't know. I didn't even like rock music growing up. Yeah. Like as a kid, I liked jazz. You know, yeah. I wanted to be a trumpet player. But really, like when I started seeing bands playing and like, you know, bands that I like come through town, I see them in like a 2000 seat theater or whatever. Yeah. And I just thought like, man, if I could do that and like pay rent and eat yeah, and just be in my band, like nothing more I could ever want in yeah. my life. And that was kind of like, that seemed like a realistic goal to me. Mm-hmm. Like, if we could just be good enough, like, people would like it and we could come. And if we try really hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, like, I knew I wasn't going to do anything else. So, but it, ne it never seemed outlandish to me. It seemed. 
seemed within reach. Yeah. 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 I mean, I remember having like my, uh, we did career day in mm. high school and you fill out this like aptitude yeah. test and it tells you what you're supposed to do and whatnot. Yeah. But I remember telling my um, guidance counselor at school, she was like, well, being in theater and being a musician, like that's not really a career. And it hurts so much to hear her say that, but I'm so stubborn. And I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, yes, it is. Wait, how old were you? I was about 14, okay, okay, you know, yeah, yeah. and it was just like, it was devastating to hear. And, yeah. you know, and my mom was always really supportive of the elusiveness of, you know, being a musician. But I think it was still really scary when I actually did it, when I like took a leap of faith, like moved nine hours away. And my mom would like come see where my husband and I, my boyfriend at the time, where we were living. And it was just like, you know, there were like rats in the house and it was in a, a bad part of town and she would just yeah. cry and she would be uh, like i just i want something better for you yeah and i think my success yeah. has probably been more sweet for her than it has yeah. for me i so you know such a relief yeah i mean i know as a father to a daughter that my daughter like has a career and she yeah. loves it like yeah. I and mean, nothing could yeah it's in it yeah now it's like it, it feels so justified where i'm like oh i'm so glad that i stuck with it but yeah. Yeah, at the time, I think it's just like really scary. And especially, yeah, moving to a city and my mom would be calling me all the time and like, I'm just worried something's going to happen to you. I was like, mm. I'm tough. Like, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. My dad would send me like, uh, he, my dad worked at a prison and so he would send me like mace and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> Here, take this. <laughs> That's cool. After the final break, Margot talks about how she's used her music to cope with pain and about making country music that transcends polarizing politics. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You have one song that kind of does a mariachi thing. Oh, yeah, the pay gap song, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Was, and you say something about rich white men in that song, too. And I was saying to my wife, because it's funny, I was talking to my wife, and my wife is like real hip-hop culture. And I, I was listening to your record the other day, and she was like, oh, I love country music. That girl's voice is beautiful. Who's that? Oh, and I was like telling so her. Sweet. And I, I was like, wow, you love country music? Like, we never talked about this before. Yeah. And she was like, yeah. And I realized, like, so much of it has to do with the narrative. Right. You know what I mean? It's what she liked about hip hop growing up was like the stories and yeah. the narrative and like she likes the rhythm. Yeah. But like that, and you have great narratives in your oh, songs. Thanks. Is it, when you talk about writing, is like literary work that you love a really big influence on how you approach songwriting? I do. I mean, yeah, I always am reading books and trying to 
see films and, you know, incorporate all of it, hopefully. Like the song Pay Gap that you were talking about, that can be a really frightening narrative for country music where it's like, okay, I'm talking about just more like liberal topics. And as I've gone back and studied country music and the history of it, you know, Loretta Lynn had more songs banned from country radio than all the men ever combined. Wow. And, you know, she was talking about birth control or, you know, things that were just a little bit too left of center. Mm. And so, yeah, when I've written songs like that, it's always kind of come with this like loaded, well, this is really what I want to say. And I think it's an important topic. But knowing that it's like going to get pushed back or it's going to make a certain percentage of the people like really not like me. But it's getting everybody talking and it's like getting people discussing those things that maybe wouldn't normally be discussed. And don't even people or a culture that might ban it and think like, oh, that's like socialist uh, shit. (laughs) Like maybe like they're suffering economically too and have similar frustrations, you know, know. that might be voiced in a different way. Yeah. Like, and isn't it maybe like a great opportunity to build a bridge? I know. As opposed to the polarizing thing that we do. That's what I think. And I, I, you know, I I think that I have uh, polarized a lot of fans, you know, alienated Mm. some of my fan base from my first album. And and then my first album, I was very much just talking about the music business and like screw the system and the the social circle that kind of owns Nashville. And that was all okay for uh, my fan base. But then when it became a broader topic, like discussing politics or something that was a little bit more edgy it it did turn some people off but i other people have have said like oh you know i played the song for my dad and actually he uh he liked it so there's while there has been some of this there's also been like some really great moments of like hey i'm not trying to tell anybody how to vote or what to believe i'm just saying this is my experience and Definitely coming from a very rural area, like I grew up with guns and my dad was hunting and, you know, we were in a part of the country that didn't have as much culture. And I feel like I'm a lot more like my fans than they than they think. But mm. sometimes it just... Uh, Hot button issues. I know. You got to speak your heart, you know. Yeah. And I think that clearly for me, and, you know, and I have my opinions, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. I think every note that you play and every note that you sing and your songs, even when someone might be like, well, who is she to tell me? You know what I mean? I'm talking about that. Like, like it's coming from a loving place. Like you're never preaching. You're saying your feelings and the world is a cruel and hypocritical place, you know, Mm -hmm. and a painful place. Yeah. And people are hurting. And I think like when you speak about or sing about you know, issues, no matter what, starting a conversation is a healthy thing. And I yeah. feel like, you know, beyond like the, you know, the big issues we face, like people, certain people in society, black and brown people, poor people, women, people being oppressed and held down over into this like hierarchical bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that ultimately people will connect with, you know, speaking for justice and for love yeah, and for caring. Yeah. It's not, you know, anything but that. And, you know, I personally commend you. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I think for every, you know, maybe like fan I've lost, I've gained two more because it'll always be people that are like, no, I don't really like country music, but I really like what you're doing. I'm like, 
Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, there can't be progress with without protest and without um, those discussions. So it's like something that might be really polarizing now is like in maybe 10 to 20 years, like not going to, no one's even going to think twice about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think through folk music, um, it's always ultimately been about protest. Yeah. I mean, not always, but it's been about community and protest. And, you know, from Woody Guthrie to Big Bill Brunsey, mm-hmm. um, the story of people like saying, hey, you know, this isn't fair and let's come together and make this better. Yeah. You know, and the good ones, um, you know, a profound effect on our culture. So I know, like, I mean, even Johnny Cash, though, a, a lot of people like, that are his fans, like they don't realize that he was very liberal and he wrote like an entire album about the plight of the Native American and yeah. this album called Bitter Tears and it got like completely banned and they just swept it under the rug. Yeah. And I mean he was speaking up for the for you know people who were poor and who were yeah. discriminated against and and then other people are like, well no, he was just outlaw. Yeah. Well he was both. Yeah, he was. And people are lots of things. Yeah, people contain multitudes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, one of my greatest joys was playing with Johnny Cash. Like, I remember so like sitting cool. in a room with him and him singing and just being like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and not not like in the beginning, it was like, "Oh, it's Johnny Cash," you know, like, mm-hmm. but but like beyond that, and just getting the music, like the power, the sheer power of that dude. Yeah, like. The sound of how old was he when I don't know the number, but old. It was like yeah. a few years before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Those Rick Rubin records that he made, you know. So cool. Really cool. Yeah. I did this one with him and it was a cover um this from this band called Spain. You know that band? They really they like they made one record that's that I really love, and it's Charlie Hayden, a great jazz bass player, his son Josh Hayden, and and his sisters are really great. One's a violin player, the other one uh is a I'm spacing out, but but um, they made he, he Johnny Cash covered one of Spain's songs. Jesus, I don't want to die alone. Yeah, it's a really beautiful song, Ugh. and um, um, and I don't know, it was just cool. I played on it. He transcends genre. I mean, all the best music does, really. Yeah, and I feel like like with genre, like like I've always just kind of thought there were two kinds of music like soulful music and non-soulful music and yep. and i was actually thinking this morning another thought my i guess those are the ones that i remember the most because they were this morning yeah like I, I was thinking about talking to you and about what it is i was like well what is it when i listen to margo's records that i really love you know and i was like well it's a thing that when i listen to anything that i really love and like soulful is an really easy way to say it mm-hmm. but i think it's also like it's a willingness to like look pain and death and stuff we're terrified about like square in the eye mm-hmm. and feel it and because we all suffer and we all hurt mm-hmm. and when you you can feel when someone's doing that and feeling their feelings you know yeah yeah and sit and wallow in that feeling <laughs> yeah. and like when they say like a a feeling bad or good it really only lasts like 90 seconds or something so Is it's like right? you can make it through that like <laughs> moment and you're like you got the like you know you're throat feels like it's choking you got the apple in it and then you're like okay it'll pass it'll be fine yeah um something that you just said reminded me of a towns van zant quote that uh that i heard emmy lou harris say and uh she said there's two kinds of music there's the blues and zippity doodah <laughs> 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 and it's so true you know it's like people can say like 
And I even think with blues, you know, there's like some blues, it's like, ah, that ain't blues, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know? have a genre, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always think about, too, about Iggy Pop. And he's, I remember him describing it not as succinctly. And he talked about, like, when he grew up, he just loved the blues. Yeah. And he just wanted to play the blues. He wanted, and he went, I don't know where, he was from Ann Arbor, Michigan, but he went to New York or Chicago or somewhere and was a blues drummer. Mm-hmm. And he played in these all black bands. Playing you know, he blues. backed up Ronnie Spector on the drums. Is that right? Isn't that cool? She Whoa. told me that. And I was like, Iggy Pop played drums. <laughs> wow, that's with so you? cool. Yeah. So he just wanted to play R&B and blues. He's like, I love black music. This is what I love. This is what I want to do. And he went and he goes, to be honest, I always kind of felt like I just, I wasn't quite good enough. I was forcing myself. And then he kind of really connected with the bigger truth, which was like, yes, I love this music, but I need to sing my blues. Right. And then he went and started the Stooges and, you know, history is made. Yeah. But it's like all his pain and his expression is in that punk rock. You know what For I mean? Sure. And it's like as profound as like, you know, Muddy Waters' greatest moment. Yeah. Because it's his blues. And we all have different ways of expressing it. Like Yo-Yo Ma's going to sit down at a cello and play some Bach. Yeah. And express all the pain of all his ancestors in his life. You know what I mean? It's like, it's when you're singing that. And like, do you think that it's, that you can grow without pain? Like, is there any other way? I don't think so. And like, you know, I think that as when I would go back and I listened to my early recordings and when I was trying to like find my sound and like find what felt natural to me, you know, it really wasn't until I had kind of like been through some things that, I really felt like I could honestly express uh, what I felt in, in my heart. And, it, you know, it's not like I think that, uh, you know, everybody has to suffer like a huge tragedy. But if you live long enough, you will go through something that is that is bad. Yeah. And uh, I've seen a, a lot of people in my life, you know, like they go through bad things and they just they let it just end them, just completely end them. And I and I totally had that crossroads where. I, you know, I had, I had lost a baby and I was in a really bad spot and my career was in the toilet and there was just like nothing, nothing was going right, you know? And, and I sat down and I, and I wrote a song just kind of about everything. It was like all encompassing. It was um, on my first album. It was called Hands of Time. And I felt so much better when it was over and it was like, I wasn't writing it because I thought that anybody would like it. I was just writing it as like an exercise to, you know, to get my feelings out. It's like when you write a letter to somebody and you don't send it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I felt like after that point it was like, okay, I know I, I have figured it out because I've, I've been able to, to live through something and, and not completely self-destruct. And it, I'm so lucky that I had music there for me to to kind of channel it all and and focus it because I don't I don't know what a lot of people do when they have those feelings because yeah. um, as anybody can sit down and put pen to paper and like write yeah it's a physical act of doing it but yeah like like that thing you said about everybody's going to face tragedy like. Mm-hmm something that really can devastate you and it can be being betrayed it can be death of a loved one you know it can be it's so many things um you know guilt shame whatever yeah yeah. um but 
I, you know, having, you know, gotten older myself and mm -hmm. loving getting older. Yeah. I've seen so many people like when that time comes, they do shut down. Yeah. And they're never the same. And yeah. And they're terrified to open their hearts again mm -hmm. because the pain is just too great. Yeah. And the sense of self is too diminished because they close their heart down. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like keeping your heart open and being willing to be like, may, you know, universe, may I have another? Yeah. You yeah. know, like come what may, when you can do that, you're going to face tremendous pain, but you're going to channel. And you're mm -hmm. going to grow. And you're going to be stronger than before. And you're you going to have more empathy. You're going to be deeper. Exactly. You're going to be able to share. And you're going to be able to truly connect in, with people and be there for people. Yeah. And, you know, I feel that in your music. And um, that's really what we got, you know? And that's kind of like what you learn as a musician, too. Because, like, no matter what music you play or what your knowledge is or your educational process or whatever it is, like, the only thing that really matters is touching people's hearts and letting them know that they're not alone and that we're together as one. Yeah. 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 I think for a long time, like I tried to, um, when I was writing, I would like kind of try to cover up my insecurities and like, you know, kind of put on a little bit of a front or mm -hmm. like, you know, I was writing songs that I thought were going to be good on the radio or like, I don't know. Yeah. People will like to hear this because I've heard this before. But as soon as I allowed myself to kind of be self deprecating and like, just tell people really openly about my flaws and my mistakes. Like mm. so many people came to me and they were like, I lost a child too. Or I, you know, I spent a really long time in my life feeling bad. And in that camaraderie, it really saved me at a lot of yeah. points when I thought that I was like, I was embarrassed, you know, like, oh, I'd been to jail and like lost my license and felt like such a loser. And yeah really like kind of having a little bit of humor about it yeah. too was like <laughs> yeah. the best thing when my first album came out i was just so worried because i was like now my family is gonna know like everything that's really been going on the past five years yeah. like i just had completely lied about it like yeah. they didn't know i had been to jail i was kind of worried about like oh poor grandma i'm gonna break grandma's heart you know and yeah. she like finds out what i've yeah grandma what I've might really have gotten in some trouble too but, maybe yeah, grandma didn't care. She was like, this is a great country record. I'm going to go out two-step into this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're done pretty good. I know. Thanks, Margo. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Margo Price. As always, thank you for listening to This Little Light, a podcast that exists to benefit the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with production by Alex Barron and engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself. Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>